Hi, this is Rafa Nadal, and you are listening to ATP Tennis Radio. 16 Grand Slam titles and counting. Rafa Nadal, US Open champion 2017. Five titles for the year, including two at Grand Slam level. He was imperious. Nadal is world number one for a reason, and you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. What a couple of weeks we've had, which means we have a lot to look back on, which I'll be doing with a couple of guests who have been busy with their own podcast, together with everything else they're doing. Shortly, tennis writer Courtney Nguyen. I'll be going to find her and having a chat about what's gone on over the last couple of weeks. But first up, fresh from commentating on Nadal's 16th Grand Slam title, my BBC Five Live colleague, creator and presenter of the tennis podcast, David Law. And David, we're very close to our commentary position and the noise we can hear is because Rafa Nadal has just gone on to do one of his TV interviews with the trophy. Yes, and it's incredible the effect he has on people. They just have a glimpse of him and it's it's how I can imagine it used to be when the Beatles were around or Elvis because, you know, these guys, they only have to wink in the direction of a crowd of people who've come to see him and, and he sends them screaming and wild and... and Look, he's incredibly likable. Um, him and Federer, and, and actually, there's there's a group of them at the top there that have been there for so long. But the the, the preeminent two, Federer and Nadal, ha, have just mopped it up this year at these two Grand Slam titles. These two Grand Slam titles each. It's just an extraordinary achievement from those two. And yes, he was the favourite going into this final with Kevin Anderson, who was in his first Grand Slam final. You commentated on it. How good? was Nadal I I think that was Nadal at his vintage best and he didn't start this US Open particularly well he was out of sorts he was concerned about his game he was talking about he got the furrowed brow and he he was kept talking about how there's a lot of work I need to do on my game and he looked really ill at ease out there in the first couple of rounds then he started to find his game but the forehand wasn't there yet and he was frustrated about that in about the fourth round and suddenly in the quarters and the semis you, you realised he's here now he's here and present in the final I thought Kevin Anderson played pretty well he, he didn't have a chance the, the tactics were, uh, from Nadal were uh, to my mind and I'm not, a, I'm not a coach and I'm not a player but tactically it looked like a masterclass to me he stood way at the back of the court he looped the ball high up to, to Anderson and then suddenly he just appeared at the net out of nowhere and he was finishing points there he, at one point I, I noticed he was about 11 for 11 at the net and he was fast he was powerful he was dominating and I thought he was absolutely fantastic who would have thought this time last year we didn't have Nadal we didn't have Federer and we'll be sitting here now talking about the fact that the two of them not only have they got five titles each for the year but they've divided up the Grand Slams between them yes it's uh, a year ago I seem to recall that Roger Federer visited the Rafael Nadal Academy and the idea I think was that they would play an exhibition match well neither one of them could play it because they weren't uh, <laughs> they weren't fit enough to do so and they joked about about that you know that maybe one day we'll play another final together and there they were unable to really get around and um, here 12 months later they have dominated the tennis year and ended like this with Nadal as champion again 16 Grand Slam titles it's four years since his last US Open title I, I, I don't think many of us thought that that would ever happen again if you go back two years ago most of us thought he was probably finished not the case. It's absolutely incredible. But Nadal doesn't do it all on his own. His relationship with Uncle Tony is well documented, but Carlos Moy has been an integral part of the Nadal camp this season. It's 
improving every day. I think there has been an evolution and it's good to, for him to to get the wins so that gives, gives him a lot of confidence. The best thing of Rafa is that when he has not been playing well he still somehow found a way to to win those matches and, and you know that, that's good for a player of, of this caliber. It's good to get these matches and then once they're in the quarters they they are really dangerous. His motivation results at the beginning of the year were very important. He's been injury free so all these things combined that's the reason that we've seen a good Rafa this year I believe. He's been competing really well since the beginning of the year then sometimes he played well he didn't play that well some other times but still he, he kept competing well. Uh, on the clay court season again some matches were not that good but he won those matches and, and he had the chance to play next matches and then ended up winning the close tournaments playing really well and then the last couple of couple of months uh, after the clay were not that good but it's normal it's not easy to play uh, at this level for the whole year well try to be aggressive stay solid at the same time having the same attitude and like I said at the beginning of the of the tournament was not uh, he was not that confident but he won a couple of matches that uh, didn't play well but he turns things around and, and once he, he gets those wins, uh, he's much more confident. We do know that Uncle Tony, that's it in terms of travelling. He's going to be based at the Nadal Academy to bring through future Nadals. But this, this match, his partnership with Carlos Moyer and Nadal, it, it seems to be a match made in heaven. It does. It's interesting, you know, about 18 months ago, I remember John McEnroe saying it's time for him to get a new coach, which seemed sacrilege in a way to talk about Tony Nadal in that way as somebody who'd been with him from the start and all the success they'd had but and I, and, and I don't feel like he needed to replace Tony Nadal but a new voice and a voice of the ilk of Carlos Moyer somebody who's been there and done it and won a slam and been number one in the world and is that much older and more mature and detached from it all I think has been a huge help to Nadal he's also a really soothing calm presence Carlos Moyer I had a chance to talk to him straight after the US Open final for the BBC and and he was just it, it, none of it was a fuss yes he was really happy but he wasn't getting flustered and, and over celebrating or anything like that it, this is pretty much what he expected if Nadal was able to stay fully fit for the year and he said that was the big thing fitness was there and they've clearly worked on a few things because don't forget two years ago Nadal was undergoing a crisis of confidence he couldn't hit the forehand the way he used to there are no such worries now I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Kevin Anderson because he too has been on, he didn't get the trophy he wanted today, but he's been on his own journey to reach this Grand Slam final. It's a wonderful journey and I think probably one that many, most of us thought would have been beyond him to get to a Grand Slam final. I think he was aided, as any everybody in that bottom half of the draw was, by the fact that so many players weren't there. Andy Murray pulled out on the eve of the tournament. Uh, other players lost early on. There's obviously Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka are not here. So it, there was a, a real sense of opportunity. But you still have to take your chance. And here, this guy, what I loved about him, that he did an interview in the New York Times, his coach did rather, Neville Godwin, in which he explained how Kevin was trying to change the way he behaved on court and be much more demonstrative and shout come on to himself and celebrate winning shots and, it, and he, he took that to the nth degree he was doing it after every single point and I just feel I mean as a fellow 
big man of six feet eight inches tall. I know. I, I think Neville Godwin is absolutely right. We tend to sort of cower a little bit sometimes, you know, and and be almost ashamed of our size. And I I, I think it was great to see Anderson just puff his chest out and and just go for it. And he has maxed out his talent in this tournament and got to a Grand Slam final as a result. Are you going to be doing that on the tennis podcast if you come on? I'm doing it as we speak. Gigi, you know I am. <laughs> and the noises you can hear around us, as soon as the Grand Slam finishes, the packing up begins. People are getting buses, planes, trains. They are heading home. Staying with Kevin Anderson because we had a chat with his wife, Kelsey, recently. She gave us an insight into life on the road with Kevin. I've really enjoyed traveling with Kevin. Um, we made the decision for me to stop working Um, When we were moving down to Florida, I was going to take six months and travel with Kev and see how I enjoyed it. And we never looked back. We had so much fun just seeing the world and going on this journey together that it's been a really wonderful, positive experience for both of us. So what's the... What's the best thing about it, do you think, from, from, a, from a partner's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I do a lot more tourism and activities than Kevin has an opportunity to do. I make a point of trying to see something in every city we go to. Um, Kevin, he's usually so focused on tennis and so busy between matches that he doesn't really have an opportunity to travel, but, um, or to, to mm. do tourism when we travel. But um, I make a point of it. I get on TripAdvisor. I see the best things to do in every city. And um, I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, you have to be a little bit independent to live this lifestyle because you are often going and doing stuff alone or, you know, every now and again I can find somebody else's wife or girlfriend to join me. But, um, yeah, you have to be independent and willing to just kind of go out and do stuff and see it on your own. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Do you make friends among the other partners and wives and, you know, Kev's rivals? And no doubt he, there are mates that he practices with. And, and but, but it can be a lonely life. In a, in, a, in a sport that's an individual sport as opposed to, say, a team sport? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think tennis players miss out on some of the camaraderie that a team sport would offer. So the wives as well, we miss out on that. But I think right now there's a really remarkable group of women traveling, and I've made some of my best friends out here doing this, and it's been really nice to get to know people. And we all have such a common thread between supporting our spouses and this crazy mm-hmm. life that we lead. So it's been really fun, and I've actually made a couple really good friends through the experience. Do you have something to add? Your dog, Katie, is so well-behaved. Yes. Uh, she's an angel. <laughs> oh, she's my friend now. Um, so when you are travelling, you say you, you, know, you like doing the touristy things, but when it comes to the actual matches and you are courtside, what sort of uh, partner are you? are you? Are you biting your nails? Are you that, Or are you fairly relaxed about it and, and, and maybe taking the view, oh, it's just another match? I'm definitely very nervous when I'm courtside during Kevin's matches. I try to not emote any of my nerves um, because I would never want Kevin to look over and see me looking distraught or upset or um, you know, frustrated in any given moment during a match. So I try to keep it more even keel on the outside, but inside a lot of times I'm dying. I'm so nervous. And I, you know, I think as spectators, we feel it almost more than the players because the players just have to keep their head down and keep working and doing it. But we're just sitting there reacting to what's happening. So I think sometimes the nerves get to us almost in the box more than more than they get to the player. Matt Brown speaking to Kelsey Anson, wife of Kevin. David Law's with me. Very shortly I'm going to be going off to find Courtney Nguyen. She'll have a lot to do before she has to head off. But with your work on Five Live, I must ask you about Andy Murray and your reaction. Firstly, when there was that press conference that seemed to shock the press when he said, I'm pulling out. And secondly, the news that came through that said his season is 
almost certainly over. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a sensible decision. He he was clearly very frustrated and emotional and upset because he's desperate to get back amongst it and, and to, to compete. He's a born competitor, but he's had to do what Nadal did and uh, when he was struggling. He's had to do what Federer did, all these other guys, you know just admit it admit that it's it's not going to happen for him to win these titles when he's not fully fit and he's got to get this sorted um so i I think once he'd pulled out of the us open i think it wasn't that big a surprise it matters to him to play in these tournaments but you can't do it if you're not fit and i suspect we probably won't see him again this year um and that that's probably the right decision and wouldn't it be great if we started 2018 with Nadal and Federer in this sort of form, Djokovic and Vavrinka and Murray and Nishikori and Raonic fresh and firing and ready to go again, and then these young lads coming up as well. That would be pretty good. Now, finally, your highlights. It might include Pat Cash falling backwards off his chair in the five live commentary booth. That was was pretty cool. And it seemed to kind of happen in slow motion, which sort of made it a little bit funnier. It might not be your main highlight of the two weeks, but what one thing, if you could take one thing away from these two weeks, what would it be? I would say the thing that I will probably end up remembering the the tournament most for is is Nadal's victory um I I think that there were there were some good contests over the over the fortnight but and I really enjoyed the run of Shapovalov I thought that that was a fantastic storyline and the way he came through qualifying and he lit the place up and he was fearless I thought that was a great storyline I really enjoyed watching young Andre Rublev uh, make his breakthrough but it's not so often you see history being made and we are we've seen that four times this year with these two guys with Federer and Nadal look at that Grand Slam titles singles winning list Nadal has just moved two ahead of Pete Sampras the great Pete Sampras they're leaving Borg and Laver and Mackin and Volander and Lendl and Connors Beckett they're leaving them in their wake and it's and, and even even pulling away from Djokovic who looked to be closing on them so uh, I I think that that's just to see this this return this resurgence of Nadal and Federer throughout the year has been a treat David it's been a pleasure thank you for taking some time so close after the end of the final the tennis podcast can be downloaded from iTunes and they can also follow you on Twitter they can at David Law Tennis if you've really got nothing better to do download that podcast have a listen in the meantime I'm off to find Courtney oh it's a monstrous point from Isner That's all I can say. Oh, that's outstanding tennis from Rafael Nadal. And volley from Lucas, a stunner! He puts up for another overhead smash and somehow Karlovic just squeezed that inside the sideline. Wow. Here comes Almagro, goes down the line and wins the point. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. I've made my way down the lift from the commentary box. I made my way to the media restaurant, which is in front of the media room. There's a real buzz about the place because the final has just taken place and the spectators, they are making their way out of the stadium. It's a really nice place to sit and it has been throughout the tournament just to sort of keep an eye on things and see the people go by. Most of them, as I mentioned, making their way home because the tournament has come to an end. So we said goodbye to David and now saying hello to one half of the NCR podcast and top 
American writer Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, thank you for being with me because this, I mean, this is kind of a busy, crazy time. A lot of people wanting to get home. They've got pieces to write. It's it's kind of like end of term at school. It is. It's a lot of, you know, everybody's filing, everybody's throwing out papers. It's that last day of school when, you know, the lockers are getting cleaned out and everybody's dumping and running and trying <laughs> to meet up with their friends. And it's the last time of the season. So it's a little bit, for many of us, the last time we'll see a lot of different people on the tour until Australia so uh, yeah a lot going on. <laughs> now your focus is really heavily on the WTA tour and for me the thing that stood out from the women's tour firstly the fact that at the start of it there were eight women who could have ended it at number one but secondly when it turned out we had four American semi-finalists and not just four American semi-finalists but all with incredible stories. All with incredible stories and it has been for the women's side uh, especially in the second week really dominated by the American storylines and it's been a long time since we've been able to talk about that particularly on U.S. soil. You know obviously we've had the domination of Serena for all these years and so it's always been a bit of a tricky discussion to talk about what's going on with American tennis when we have a dominant greatest of all time number one American tennis is fine but when it comes to the future of American tennis and what it looks like it really you know did come down to you know three of those four semifinalists in Coco Vandeweghe, Sloan Stevens and Madison Keys and then obviously Venus Williams holding it down for the Williams family they're not done yet and 2018 is going to tee up to be potentially a resurgent Williams season but um three fantastic stories in the youngsters getting through obviously with Venus as well and um, it's been it's been fantastic and it's created a lot of great buzz particularly in the states with respect to tennis and we definitely needed that here. A lot of buzz also a lot of stories and the same can be said for the men's draw now I've just been speaking to David moments after the final about Rafa Nadal and Kevin Anderson I want to speak to you and touch on the two men that were so close to making it to the final starting with Juan Martin Del Potro, a player who just is able to suck everyone in to sort of be with him. He's so unique as a player, and it's it's part on on one hand you want to say, "Gosh, Juan Martin, why couldn't you stay healthy? Why couldn't you have you know a full career playing week in week out every single year, every single slam?" And obviously injuries derailed that. But part of what makes him such this mythical almost unicorn is that he shows up out of nowhere and he pulls off these incredible wins and he just has this ability even more so and I will say this more so than even Roger to you just think so? yeah I think so in terms of being able to flip neutrals his way immediately um, he acknowledges the crowd in a way that you know bless the big four and or even big five when you extend it out to Stan Wawrinka they're so good and part of what why they're so good is they're so focused and they, it's just about them and they're playing their match and you're sitting there and you're enjoying the display of artistry and the display of competitiveness that's out there but Juan Martin you're there with him you are he looks at the crowd he he prays off the crowd he needs the crowd you stick him out on an outer court you get the crowd around him he'll beat anybody you you put him out there maybe you know on grandstand against Rafa Nadal maybe things are different honestly you put him out on a stayed situation like center court where people have already made their decisions who they're rooting for and things like that it's a tougher road for him but no one brings in a crowd like like Juan Martina no one is as universally beloved because he, he doesn't even have haters. He, he, you just love the guy, um, and he just had such a wonderful tournament, and I'm just so happy to see him back and playing that type of tennis. And yes, it was incredible, the victory over Roger Federer, though afterwards Federer said he didn't feel safe throughout the tournament. It's not a feeling he'd had at the first two majors that he played in this year, not playing on the clay in Paris. But it, it's the match on grandstand against Dominic Team, trailing badly, 
by Tuesday. Very badly. The doctor had been called out. He said he'd been suffering a virus. I mean, I actually, I have to admit, I watched the first set and I've, then I left yeah. because I thought Dominic team was going through it and, it and it was done. To get back to my hotel, to switch on the television and think, You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, I don't think anybody really understood how that comeback actually came about with Juan Martin Del Potro saving match points to beat Dominic Team from a position like you said. And, and Juan Martin Del Potro said this in his press conference after that match. I was going to retire. Uh, I wasn't feeling well. I was getting beat. But the crowd, I couldn't do that to them. And they, he surfed that wave. And as that match reached a crescendo in you know that fourth and fifth set, you just really felt like he was playing for the crowd. It wasn't about Juan Martin anymore. And it's just, it, it's such a special skill because a lot of times, sometimes with players, you put them in those situations and they get nervous because all of a sudden all these people are pinning their hopes and dreams on this play, on your forehand. Juan Martin Del Potro thrives in that situation. And that's what makes him one of the most exciting players and one of those players that just captures the hearts of all of us. Oh my God, I'd, I'd pin a couple of hopes and dreams on that forehand. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Hammer of Thor. Now... A young man who seems to go under the radar, doesn't make a lot of headlines. I think if you see, spoke to a lot of people and said his name, they'd be like, yeah, I think I know the name, but I'm not quite sure, is Pablo Crena Busta, who has been having a phenomenal year. He's not just a Spanish player that plays on clay. He's been to a semi-final of the Masters and now he's been to the semi-final of a Grand Slam. At the beginning of the tournament, I pulled up the men's draw and I was talking to my podcast partner, Ben Rothenberg, and I turned to him and I said, hold on, Pablo Carreño Busta is seated number 12? When did that happen? Uh, that's how under the radar he's been. It was shocking to me that he was seated that high here at this tournament, and he played a great tournament. He managed his draw well. You know, he had a, you know, a, a few good, solid wins, um, ran up against Kevin Anderson, and Anderson kind of out-hit him and hit him off the court. But, you know, it's great to see, especially for Spanish tennis, you you know, you have Rafa Nadal who casts such a big shadow over um, all of it. And sometimes the players, some of them get frustrated that they don't get the attention that, you know, that if they were in another country, they'd be the number one. I think Pablo Carreño Busta is perfectly happy being in that shadow and getting to operate quietly. He's a quiet guy, a soft-spoken guy, a very nice guy. Uh, so great to see him make the semifinal. And I want to stick with Carreño Busta because he's been talking to the ATP World Tour Uncovered team about the improvements he's made. He's continuing his country's rich tennis tradition. Aged 25, with three ATP World Tour singles titles to his name, Pablo Carreño Busta is in the form of his career. The decision almost a decade ago to take tennis seriously was definitely the right call. When I started, I just, uh, it was a hobby. I never thought about playing professional. When I was 16 years old, uh, the Spanish Federation called me to go to Barcelona and to play tennis, and it was when I, when I thought about it, about play, play professional tennis. Roberto Bautista Agut. He's a very typical Spanish, no? very solid player. He returns well, he serves well, he, he does a lot of things well. For sure, I'm the best moment of my career. I'm growing up like a tennis player. I'm living a lot of different experience and I think it's really good for, for me and for my career. I'm improving my tennis, I'm improving like uh, my experience, my mentally and with my team now, with my actual team, I'm working so hard. Pablo, the last year he, he raised his level a lot and he become much more consistent and um, I think that that is, is very good for Spanish tennis. highest-ranked Spaniard under the age of 28. 
Carreño Booster has embraced being part of a group following in the footsteps of a golden generation of Spanish players. We are all, all the Spanish players, we are uh, friends, we enjoy in the tournaments. Yeah, we know, you know, uh, we are, I think uh, we, we have seven Spanish players in the 35 first position, so for Spanish people it's like normal, but for sure it's not normal, it's something incredible and I think will be so difficult to repeat it. Well, Pablo is, is like the, together with Bautista, is like the, successors of the I think the best generation of Spanish tennis they can be the new leaders and they are in the perfect moment to, to succeed I think if you're a young Spanish player how could you not be motivated I mean you not only have these great champions to look up to but they're still scattered around the locker room so Carreño Busta just absorbs all that Pablo is keen to continue posting strong results and finish inside the top 20 of the Emirates ATP rankings for the first time in his career. Yeah, for sure it's a big possibility to be in the top 20 this year, but I'm making good results, so why not to be better? I'm practicing myself, you know, I need to improve myself a little bit. Because now in this moment in the tennis, in the professional tennis, the, the surf is really important. But uh, also I'm improving my mentality, you know. I all, all the time focus on my game and try to do my best tennis, try to be aggressive and dominate all the points. Because uh, with, uh, with yourself you need to, to dominate the points. I need to, to continue this way, to continue working hard and I think I can grow up. The views there are Pablo Crenabusta along with his coach Emilio Sanchez, fellow player Roberto Bautista Algood and tennis TV commentator Sam Gore. Looking through, well firstly, what from the men's side of things, what is the one storyline, the one player, the one thing that you will take from this that you've picked up on? Because there are a few. There have been a few. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm a bit surprised with respect to Sasha Zverev and Dominic Team when we look at, you know, and obviously Team is not technically part of the ATP next-gen campaign, but he is the next-gen if we take it outside of that. Um, and, and we keep waiting for Team and for Zverev to make their mark at the slams, and Team obviously did so at the French, and, and obviously is an amazing clay court player, but you expect, and again, this is the spoils of being of operating within the era of the Big Four, you are supposed to be able to play great everywhere. It, it, you're not supposed to be surface specific right and so Sasha Zverev the number four seed comes into this tournament on an absolute role having won master's titles and you know playing great tennis beating great players and then gets ousted very very early Dominic Team has a commanding lead against an ailing Juan Martin Del Potro and can't close it's I'm a bit disappointed in that you know Nick Kyrgios there were question marks surrounding him but he made the final in Cincinnati you know so again and it's unfair to contrast with, with the WTA side of things because the games are very different and you are going to see more opportunities for the young players who make their names much faster uh, on the women's tour. But at the slam level, from, from an ATP perspective, you do need those guys to come through. And this was a big opportunity for the youngsters with the draw being decimated the way that it was with injury from, from the stalwarts. And 
it's Kevin Anderson and Rafa Nadal. You know, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit perplexing. And so that was unfortunately one of my big takeaways is that like, wow, I really expected more there from the young crew. And we spoke at the top about the American women, the, the, the future is now the present. They have arrived. What about Sam Quarry? Now, he might not be the future because of his age. And we talk about the next gen players, but he is having a great great year and he will be when the new rankings come out the top ranked American top ranked American and very much in the hunt for London which if you started me you know at the beginning of the season Sam Query might qualify for the world tour finals I would have laughed in your face you know I just it never really came that way and Sam Query for so often and I heard somebody kind of compare him a little bit and I scoffed at the time but in thinking about it maybe this is right of comparing his career trajectory a little bit to Stan Wawrinka insofar as somebody who's always had a game we see a big serve great backhand massive forehand but for so long I think Sam Quarry was pretty content with being a professional tennis player this is my job it's what I how I make a living I get a paycheck doing this it seems that this season something has clicked with Sam he compete he competes so much better uh, he got he lost to, to Kevin Anderson but um, he competed well in that match he's fired up and who knows I mean if he gets the run that makes London I mean who knows how that tees up a 2018 where it might just give him a little bit of that extra motivation to put a, put his foot down and say, no, I think actually I can. I am a top 10 guy, you know, especially right now with the men's tour and a little bit of flux. Um, the top 10 positions are a little bit more open with the Rounditches and the Nisha Corys and the Burdicks and the t- Songas kind of sliding out a little bit potentially. So that's a big opportunity for Sam Quarry. Great tournament for him. I think the women were really happy that they didn't have to, you know, just carry the load. That they could say, "Look, Sam is doing great," and um, and so it's just been a great tournament for the Americans. Roger Federer, his defeat to Juan Martín del Potro. I think what impressed everybody was how honest he was at breaking down that defeat to Del Potro, it was an incredible listen. It was an incredible listen. He came straight to press uh, really pretty much five minutes after the the press uh, the, the match had ended and basically said, I wasn't playing well enough to win this tournament. Now, the thing that was kind of the red flag with that statement was, well, okay, if you were to beat Del Potro, you would have played Rafa to then play in the final either Kevin Anderson or Pablo Carreño Busta. I know that he said that I wasn't playing well enough to win the tournament, but I think the read from most of us was what you're saying is you weren't playing well enough to beat Rafa because to win the tournament, you're going to have to beat Rafa. And do you really think you weren't playing well enough to at least give yourself a shot against Carreño Busta or an Anderson? Come on now. I mean, so it was a scratchy tournament for Roger playing back-to-back five setters in the opening two rounds. Um, He did seem to find some form in his two matches going into that match against Del Potro. Um, So it seemed like things were, were better. But, you know, he definitely played flat tactically. That match was a bit of a confusion of, of trying to go to the Delpo forehand, which is just asking for trouble. Um, and, and, and Delpo obviously played great and served phenomenally. But that was a really telling breakdown and a very candid breakdown of, of Roger with respect to his tournament and his chances and the injuries rolling coming into this tournament basically kind of put him behind the eight ball to where he couldn't prepare for the Open the way that he probably would have liked to. But, you know, disappointing exit for him, phenomenal slam season anyway. I mean... Who would have thought, you know, who would have thought? Incredible. I'm sitting here with Courtney Nguyen in the media restaurant. People are making their way out the grounds, maybe a little bit of merchandise shopping. A couple of members of the press are having a well-earned beer after a couple of hard weeks away. And I promise I'm not going to go through the whole draw, but I want to drag it back to next gen. Andre Rublev, but first, Denis Shapovalov. Denis Shapovalov. I mean, okay. The thing about Shapovalov that impresses me and it's surprises me... It's you're smiling me, just talking yeah, about him. Well, because there's something slightly amusing, and I have to say this, that 
he has really been shot out of a cannon. Okay, like in terms of how great, obviously, summer run for him and, um, you know, through the Masters Series and obviously, you know, made it through qualifying here, didn't get a wild card and gets put on Ash once, you know, against Sangha and he goes out there and plays great. He's being already next big thing, in my opinion, very quickly. Um, I think his game is great. I love watching it. I think so, I, but I'm more conservative with things like that generally, I have to say. My bias is always to give young players time, especially on the men's tour. Physicality matters. You can go and you can play a great two weeks. You can go and play a great four-week span. But can you play a full season when you have not grown into your body? I mean, these are men on this tour. But um, but for, for Shapovalov, a great game. I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. I just, let's let's be calm. Let's be rational. Let's be reasonable. Let's let him develop on his own time. And it couldn't. It could be that we wait until he's 22, 23. Um, and you know, his body might not be able to hold up under the strains of the of the tour level. And we have to wait and see that. Andre Rublev. They seem to be taking quite a sensible route with Rublev. He seems to have a, a good team around. Not that Shapovalov doesn't, but in terms of Rublev, he's been a little bit out of the spotlight. We've been looking at Karen Kachinov and Daniel Medvedev of the Russians, but there suddenly he's in the latter stages of a Grand Slam. Yeah, I would not have. Uh, I would have not have thought that that the, the next gen player to be the last next gen or standing was Andre Rublev. Uh, definitely kind of under the radar. Uh, plays a solid game. Nothing about it is spectacular, and I think that maybe that's a little bit why he's under the shadow of a, a Kachanov, for example, who's so big and strong and hits a big ball, and you're going to pay attention to that. Um, Rublev is kind of the workhorse player of that crew um, but you know again a good tournament for him and a great result and then there was Rafa Nadal who again that's those are the matches that I want to see um, in terms of pitting the next gen players when they beat up against each other when they beat up against the journeyman players or you know lower ranked players those are good wins and you need those wins but I want to see how your game stacks up against the game's best that's something wise Zverev is who he is in terms of being at the head of the class and Dominic team as well because they stack up well Rublev, we've yet to kind of really get a good look as to, to how he stacks up. So again, another player that very impressive. Let's see if you can do it over a season. I think consistency matters. Hi, I'm John Isner. This is Jack Sock. I'm Milos Raonic. This is Donald Young. Hi, this is Sam Query. And you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Now, on Friday, the men's doubles champions were crowned with Roger Entercao beating the Lopai, as I've nicknamed them, because Lo- <laughs> Lopez just doesn't sound right, Feliciano. Lopez, Mark Lopez, not related. No, but Lopai just Lo-Pi sounds just, likes just that. better, like doesn't that. it? Like uh, and, we heard, and we have heard from half of the winning team. Matt Brown spoke to Jean-Julien Roger to find out a little bit more about him. Jules for short. My friends uh, all call me Jules. Uh, I'm not a big fan of my own name. It's a very French name, and I don't speak any French at all, so... Uh, my name is Jean Julien, but uh, when I, I get it when I play in countries such as uh, France and uh, other places, they they start speaking to me in fluent French. But uh, yeah, Jules, Jules is fine. Okay, now you were born in Curacao, so that's a, a Dutch territory in the uh, Caribbean. And uh, how many years of your life did you spend there? Yeah, I was born in Curacao, a little island off the coast of Venezuela in the Caribbean. I um, I spent uh, 13 years of my life there. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, born and raised there. And then when I was 13, uh, I moved to uh, Miami to pursue my uh, my tennis dreams. So that's where uh, most of my training, uh, you know, and, and my, uh, my growing up uh, really happened. So what was the influence, though? Because you must have started playing there in, in Curacao and, and thought, hey, you're, you're pretty good. Or someone, your, your parents maybe thought, hey, this... 
this son's got talent. Yeah, no, it's actually it's a crazy story because the way I look at it now and I look back at it, it seems like my parents really wanted to get me out of the house because my, I was not talented at all. And I mean that I was uh, I was young, <clears throat> I was 12 years old and uh, decided I wanted to leave to go play tennis uh, elsewhere. But uh, when I look back at myself playing tennis at that age, I was wondering, like, what were my parents thinking, really? Because I didn't think I would have any shot at all at this tennis thing. And uh, I didn't really start improving until I was 13 and, and living in Miami and working with my coach daily, which is stuff that I didn't do back home. Um, and then made, uh, made, these, made, a, made a big jump and obviously improved in the junior rankings and these kind of things. But... Yeah, it was a difficult decision to leave home. I'm glad uh, glad I did it now, though, because it gave me an opportunity at this tennis life. So uh, very thankful for that. Doubles is where you have had your success. You've been, I think, as high as two or three in the world. I think three in the world in doubles. Currently playing with a, another very good player in Horia Takao. Um, and I I'd imagine you're going to want to continue playing because we've seen the likes of Leander Pays and Daniel Nestor you know, play well into their 40s. Um, no end in sight? Uh, no, no end in sight. I, I still feel good, but uh, no, I, um, I'm feeling great. I want to continue playing. I, uh, I feel like uh, I can still uh, achieve many things. I'm still quite fit. I still enjoy my training, and uh, I still enjoy the whole process of playing. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, God willing, I'll be out here for a few more years. Yeah. Well, Roger Federer just turned 36, so you know it hasn't slowed him down. So, you know, there's. But, but what what is the key, you know, for longevity in a sport like tennis uh, as a, as a doubles player? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what the key is to any any sport for a long time is you better uh, love the sport. I think that starts with that because if not, it's just going to, um, you know, it's going to wear thin after a while. But uh, I love playing tennis. I love going out to, to practice still today. I love competing in my matches. So I truly uh, love what I do. So I'm, I feel blessed in that way. Um, and then the key just to staying out here, I mean, as you get older you start looking at a lot of things the warming up and cooling down process gets longer and longer um, you do a lot of uh, maintenance work uh, you know because your, your body obviously um, with the wear and tear you, you need to do a lot more maintenance work and also um, you, you st- you're dieting you know you got to watch what you eat and, and try to stay fit and healthy uh, mentally and physically you know and I think uh, you start paying attention as you get older to all these little details that make it possible for you to, to stay on tour and of course, um, the doubles scene is so competitive, isn't it? Um, the race for London, um, you know, there are so many good teams now. It just, the, I think the depth, my observation is that the depth in doubles is, is perhaps a lot more than what it was, you know, even 10 years ago, maybe when you were, when you were younger. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. The, um, yeah, doubles now uh, it's gotten at a really high level. Uh, we enjoy all the singles guys playing as well, which makes it even better. Yeah, we, uh, we have a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of competition now, steep competition. Even uh, younger guys also, you get like the Venuses, Pavic, uh, what, uh, Mektic, uh, a lot more younger guys that are coming in, uh, playing at a high level, uh, playing well. And um, and, and uh, that, and, and also uh, the fact that uh, now we have a lot more singles guys participating and the, the depth's just really, really uh, really good now in, in doubles and it's competitive which makes it tough on me uh, some days uh, but also that's where you kind of want to take the sport and that's where you want the level to be at so um, yeah, I'm, I'm you know I'm all for it I'm all for it and, and hopefully we get to promote and advertise it a bit more and that it becomes even bigger because it's, it's a beautiful sport Doubles champion Jean-Julien Roger with Matt Brown Courtney Nguyen is still with me Courtney our time together is coming to end you've still got a lot to do we've got to get out of here get the bus back we don't know how long that could take your highlights from the men's draw, from these two, if you could just walk away with one highlight, one memory, what would it be? 
It will be Juan Martín del Potro standing in the middle <laughs> of, gra- of Grandstand, arms aloft and open as a incredibly raucous crowd just like just drowned him with love for the effort that he put forth to beat Dominic Team. That was just a phenomenal effort. That is going to be the highlight of my men's tournament, without a doubt. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I just I still have you, you're looking at me. I still have such a huge grin on my face. That's Juan Martín del Potro. That's what he can do. Something you didn't manage to do was take me for chicken and waffles. Now, uh. anyone that's heard Courtney and I together <laughs> working for Radio Rolling, actually, whenever we're on radio together, it's it's chicken and waffles is an American thing. It is an American thing that I can't comprehend. Nope. That you like? Love. Oh, you love? Adore. I didn't know it was quite oh, that strong. Oh, my gosh. Strong. Oh, really? I think we've had this discussion. I didn't know it was that strong. Oh, yeah. If, if, I, had to, if I had to decide on my final meal. No. Chicken and waffles. It wouldn't be. Yes. You're not smiling as much as when you talked about Del Potro. Well, because I'm talking about my last meal. It's a bit of a somber <laughs> moment. <laughs> it's a bit dark, Gigi. <laughs> but this is something that you haven't managed to do yet. So maybe at some point. And the NCR podcast, how's that going? When's the next one coming out? It's going great. Next one will come out after the tournament on probably Monday or Tuesday once we sit down and Is and it get... quite hard coordinating you and Ben? Because you're all over the place. Yeah, we are all over the place. It's gotten more and more difficult as time has gone on because when we used to do it, we had nothing but time on our hands because nobody liked us. Now... <laughs> People just don't like us, but they ask us to do things, and so we're a little bit busier than we were before. But it's it's always it's definitely fun. A lot of podcasts to turn around. Well, can I say thank you for taking the time out to do the ATP Tennis Radio podcast? I'm always happy to do it. You are the chicken. I am the waffle. We take the chicken and waffles everywhere. We will take them. We just won't eat them. That makes sense. Um, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. My thanks again to Courtney Wynn and David Law. For more details and articles on all the winners, including the women's doubles and mixed boys and girls events, the wheelchair events, then please head to usopen.org and the ATP World Tour website. And be sure to check out ATP Tennis Radio. It's a 24-7 channel. You can find it on TuneIn for more great interviews, features and highlights. And next week, we've got a cracker for you. We are doing a next-gen special. Don't forget, we're going to be in Milan covering the next-gen finals. And next week, it is all about those players in the running to be in Milan so I hope you can join us for that but until next time take care if you like this podcast please visit the iTunes store and search ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review